Australia. Quay Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quay Cooper is the man. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. I'm your host, Ando. Yeah, you know it, Matt. You know it. And with me (laughs) is Matt Durrant from Gold Digger Rugby. How are you, Matt? Look, a bit too eager to get involved there. Sorry for cutting you off, but uh, yes, it's it's, it's very a joy to be here on probably uh, Australian Rugby Podcast, uh, rising golden podcast of all. You guys are climbing up the charts. The the guests until today have been uh, pretty good. Uh, you've had the the big shed the other week, and uh, no, look, I'm just happy to be here, mate, and uh, to to talk rugby after a fantastic weekend. It was a fantastic weekend of rugby, and look, I'm sorry that you had to be the one on the pod after Ned Hannigan, because in my mind, nothing could ever top his appearance. I could have stopped podcasting and been a happy man. Um, look, so if, I, if I'd known that, I would have worn a, I would have found a blonde wig just so I could wear it for you, <laughs> and you squint a bit, and just pretend that yeah. that's for later, my friend. Although, how good is his ocker accent? He's like the most ocker bloke I've ever heard. It's incredible. Yeah, he's he's got a he's got that sort of lovely drawl, but he's also a real sharp wit. And funnily yeah. enough, I hadn't really um listened to him speak that much. I think the beauty of podcasts is players get a bit more time to express themselves and show their yep. personalities. You, you yep. often don't see that in a, a post match presser or a, even a short interview. So, no, it was a great great chat. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Well. You can find us on all of the major platforms. We're most active on Twitter, but we're also on Facebook and Instagram. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to Swano in our tipping competition, who obviously has tipped a couple of the upsets this weekend and has risen 34 spots up the ranking in our tipping comp to be coming first. So well done. We've got Thalium in second place, who's gone up six spots, and Julia Mather is holding strong on third. So well done. Uh, I'm not going to say Julia. where I am. I'm not going to say where I am on it, but either way, it's not good. Um, so, well, you're not in the top three. We know that. Yeah, and I'm okay with leaving it at that. There's a three somewhere Fair in enough. my number, and I won't say where. Um, but tonight on the show, we're going to be hearing an update from Matt about Gold Digger Rugby, the search for Australian rugby, the documentary that every Australian rugby fan has been waiting for, and we might well have some news about when it will be gracing our eyeballs. Um, we will also be talking to you about the great matches over the weekend, including the rugby championship games, the Wallaroos and the Black Ferns, and the amazing men's rugby seven results from Los Angeles. Before we then jump into the locker room and answer your questions and comments. So, Matt, are you ready to dive on in? Let's do it. Let's go. All right, diving straight on into things. Matt, you've been teasing us for a very long time about an extra special documentary on Australian rugby. When, oh, when will this um, this tease end? Will our desires finally be satiated? Uh, yeah, well, look, look, the tease has been uh, multiple teasers. I've been teasing you guys and uh, the, the the various uh, broadcasters, sales agents, distributors have been teasing me for a good 18 months. And look, I, film distribution is always tricky. To get your film out there, as you guys know, being content creators, one thing making it, it's another thing getting people to listen or to watch it. And um, it's been a hard slog, but we got there. And I'm, I'm very, very happy to say that 
our Australian release is going to be next month, um, 15th of September, the day of the first wedding. Um, coming out on Fox Docos, which is the channel you can get it through Fox if you're a subscriber, but you can also see it through Binge TV, uh, which is another subscription channel uh, in Australia. So both those um, formats. And look, this won't be the end. Hopefully the film will continue on. There may be available on, on free-to-air or um, another um, forum in the, in the coming kind of year or so. Um, this is just the beginning of a film. To get to this point, I'm, I'm, I'm very relieved and, and very, very excited. It'll be good to see what people think. Well, well done for getting to this point. Um, for anybody that was a little bit concerned that uh, they think, oh, another platform, I don't have this one. I have just Googled binge free trial and they do offer a two-week free trial. So if anybody is keen to be watching it, then it's very easy to do. And you said the 15th of September, that correct? That's correct. Yep, yep. The day of the blood is low um, in, down in uh, Melbourne. Uh, Brilliant. Brilliant. So for any listeners that maybe don't have a clear understanding of what this documentary is about, can you give us a bit of an elevator pitch of what it is and why they should be watching? Uh, Gold Digger Rugby, it's a Australian rugby fan's journey on what has happened to Australian rugby in the last two decades. Focusing a lot on the Wallabies, but also broadly looking at super rugby, um, the administration of the game. And this is a fan, but obviously it's fan interviewing those that are in the know and who are inside the tent. So we have um, everyone from administrators like John O'Neill to the you know, World Cup winning coach Rod, Rod McQueen, um, John Eels, and so on and so forth. A, a number of names and a few international names as well. Um, I mean, if you've seen the trailer, you'd know that Clive Woodward uh, um, uh, appears in it very briefly. And um, look, it's, it's, a, it's an exploration on what's happened to Australian rugby. I'm hoping it's a conversation starter and that people watch this and understand more like I did because I was completely lost about three or four years ago as to what was happening. I was a bit disgruntled after the 2019 World Cup, but I was also curious as to what had happened. It seemed puzzling. So I'm sort of hoping the documentary answers the question, but ultimately is a starting point for the next chapter of what's going to happen next five to 10 years in rugby, at least in Australia. One of the things I'm very excited about is um, to hear, maybe at another time, I don't think tonight will be the night, maybe once the documentary is available to the Australian public, um, to have a later conversation about the response from Rugby Australia, whether or not there's been much, um, much willingness to listen or reflect of their own. So that would be a really good point mm. of discussion. Uh, any initial thoughts on that without giving too much of the game away? I'll be very happy to do a, a full-on Q&A after films out and I think once people haven't seen it yeah, you're right yeah. it'll give you much more look I've had some interactions with rugby throughout the last few years but funnily enough when, when I reached out to them to make this and I did have ongoing discussions um in 2020 obviously there was a very big big change in personnel there from the the top to the bottom so the people that I was engaging with um seemed to change every few every few months yep. so I think now rugby Australia is a little more settled um but yeah I'll be I'll be more than happy you know, for me, it's all about just being open. And, but I'm sort of not a fan of uh, any sporting codes and administrations being um, secretive. I just don't interested. Yeah, I'm more talk about my experience. How exciting. Well, September the 15th, first Bledisloe match, and you can get it on Binge. They also have a free trial, as I just confirmed. So there's no excuse not to watch it. And I'm glad that we finally get to cast our eyeballs on it, mate. Very well done. And yeah. 
keen keen to sit down, have a watch, and continue the dissection of where Australian rugby's been and where it can be going into the future. Absolutely. All right, mate, let's jump on into the Wallabies versus South Africa. Let's go. We move now to the first of the rugby championship matches over the weekend and in a result which did not shock statisticians of Australian rugby, but shocked basically everybody else. Australia has come away 25 to 17 victors over South Africa in a match where the final score line uh, flatters South Africa a little bit. There were two weak consolation tries uh, that came in in the kind of final 15, 20 minutes of the game. But this was a match where in the opening 10 minutes, nearly everything seemed to go right, Matt. Yeah, it was a fantastic start. I think that first sort of five minutes, what I really loved was the speed uh, with which the team were playing. Heard a few people attribute it to, to Laurie Fisher's um, inclusion, sudden inclusion in the squad. You know, he's got a real great attacking brain. But I don't know. It's funny. I just wonder also whether they were just propelled by the, the, the game, the last game before in Argentina. And, you know, lot of pressure riding on them and something to prove you heard um, came out and Dave Rennie in a post-match presser with James Slipper speak to in in many ways they didn't use this word but kind of the shame of their performance last week and the disappointment that they had mm. at the 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 scale of the scoreline that was put against them and they were wanting to make amends in this match and I think that was what we saw more so than directly Laurie Fisher's involvement in those opening minutes of the game although you could see his little touches and involvements in some of the nice little forward play I think amongst the Wolbys uh, pods particularly in some of the passes where like Matty Phillips inside ball to Flaufangar as he did that steaming run right before um, Fraser McWright's first try. It was just really nice to see the extent to which the forwards were willing to play the ball a little bit more, not in risky scenarios, but just, just be willing to, in the right moments, get that little offload going that breaks the continuity of the defensive line. Because I think in previous times we've been stuck a little bit with maybe just one-up play, trucking it up and not really offering any variety on our forward play attack. Yeah, it's, it, it, I think you're right. And, and uh, the other thing that struck me and I, in thinking about it was the Springboks love um, starting a game and settling in and trying to sort of take control, get their kicks, get their territory, maybe get a penalty and just grind out sort of to a three and then a six um, zero, zero start. It's almost like the Wallabies decided to try and get in their face and and play up tempo from the first thirty seconds and and sort of surprise them. And I, you know, I don't know, I don't know if that was the strategy, but it, it felt like they they did tailor it towards trying to prevent the box from getting comfortable. You know, they've travelled all this way, um, they're they're away from home. They always have a bit of pressure against them in Australia. One of the things and, that was pretty um, no- was noticeable throughout start. the game um, that I was reflecting on straight after was the involvement of Nick White, and we might get to some of his Oscar-worthy performances later on. But just looking more specifically at the level to which he was actually kind of the key playmaker throughout the game and that Noah was then able to choose the moments that he inserted himself with great effectiveness. Um, You take a look at White's stats and he had 45 passes, two runs for zero meters. Now he's a player that can snipe around the edges when uh, instructed to and when the game plan enables that to be happening. But it was very obvious that he was the one doing a large part of the distribution, picking the players, playing off nine, far more than off 10. And it really seemed to work. I wasn't 
sure that Australia would be able to do that type of a game against South Africa, but they obviously were able to. Yeah. No, look, I thought, I thought his, his, I mean, working with Lolasio is obviously the two of them keeping that Brumbies combination together. I, I sort of felt that I, I'm always confident when White's playing, Lolasio's coming on because, you know, they're going to, usually you're going to, over a long term, see good play with them, good, good commanding and management. And of course, you know, you had sort of, um, Tim mm-hmm. Dow, I thought was really good. I thought Paisami was a bit quiet, but again, sometimes the small things that happen behind play that you don't see that are probably occurring. You know, he doesn't have to have a, a fantastic individual every game. Um, you know, the back line overall was strong. No, you, you sort of feel like White, he is the general, and I think kind of he's coming into that role. You could almost argue he could be captain, but I think it's probably good where it's at. Um, Flippers. And I think that that worked quite well throughout the match because there were a couple of times, again, sticking away from that um, controversial moment where White was getting into a little bit of back and forth <laughs> with the referee. Um, nothing that was overly disrespectful or anything, but just questioning the referee more than a captain might. And then Slipper was able to come in and just have a really calm and measured conversation with the ref. So it's almost like White is being used to, um, I don't know, let loose some of the emotion and then Slipper is able to just be the calming presence that um, communicates effectively and builds that good relationship. Uh, I thought, I thought Slipper has been one of the best players in Walby's gold this year. Well, look, yeah. And I'm glad we can now confirm that he is um, uh, Slipper who's playing with Lynn Montoya <laughs> yep. or, or vice versa. I think that, uh, that rumor of, uh, of the two of them being the same person was quashed. <laughs> Uh, a few weeks ago, but my God, I, when I pointed out to my old man watching, I said, do you reckon these guys look alike? He said, which one? Which one are you talking about? And it's true. They're, they're like, I can't get over I really need James Slipper to kind of get the beard going across the whole face like Montoya does. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, so when that match finished, um, I'm going to ask you for your kind of broad yeah. summary reaction in a moment. But um, for me, one of the things that Apart from the immense happiness that we had actually won, and I mean that makes your entire weekend better when the Wallabies get up. It's it's a rare feeling sometimes, and so you got you got to bask in that moment. I immediately the next morning put my jersey on and went strutting to the local shop to get a coffee, and was like, "Hey, see the Wallabies!" Anyway, um, my reaction at the end of that game was thinking <laughs> it very easily could have gone the other way if Andre Pollard kicks the two early penalty goals uh the Springboks actually got two clear line breaks one of them with Lou Diaga that Hodge makes an excellent one-on-one tackle with and I believe the other one was Eben Etzebeth that Nick no maybe it was Eben Etzebeth or Ox um I can't remember exactly which player it is but was that, was that in yeah the, was yeah that in first the half when Nick White comes a... and cuts him down from behind yeah. it's like a last gasp tackle yeah I, I got to say that was a sequence where it was just yep. sublime yep. passing from the box, and it was went through. It was it was tight forwards um, moving the ball still, and I I thought it was a try for sure. But yeah, I think you know there, there was, but there was great. That was the thing for me. I guess two things that we talk about the offence and the attacking start that the Wallabies had, but it was that defence with a man down in the back half, the first half. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, showcased by the Marika Corombetti tackle that for me was mm. a critical part of the game because that kept the box scoreless, uh, well, trialless um, for the first half. And it really laid down a marker on the standard they were going to set. Then the back half of the second half, it's almost like 
whether they were too tired, whether they were running out of steam, but, you know, little errors and you're right. I mean, whether it flooded the box or not, I hope it's hard to say, but it certainly took a bit of the shine off what otherwise I think would have been a pretty outstanding exactly well why don't we dive into some of the players that impressed because you spoke about that uh period the final 15 or so minutes of the first half where the wallabies are encamped uh scrum after scrum clear their lines throw right give away the ball south africa's back on the attack and a player that just steps up with an absolutely crucial involvement is marika corambete how good was that tackle it was fantastic. And I mean, I, you know, you, you, you're watching wherever you are and it's one of those, you know, ones that makes you, if you're at the stand, you throw up, you stand up. If you're at home, you, you almost fall off your seat. It was that good. Obviously, there's been a massive amount of debate about the legality of it. My personal opinion is Corin Betty charges in like a bull every time. He, there's an arm there. He, he, he connects Mpimpi. Mpimpi goes flying before he can get his arm around. Um, you know, I think, you can either disagree or agree with that. What I think you could say, and I think it was Sam Warburton, uh, former Welsh captain, made a comment on Twitter yesterday, that his head was in the wrong place. And that's probably a fair point. And I sort of respect someone like Sam Warburton making that point because I think a lot of people love to jump up and down on their soapbox about this sort of thing. And very few mm-hmm. of them are professional players. They don't know what it's like to play at that speed, um, play you know, at that velocity. It's very different to amateur club rugby or even dare I say it, sort of semi-professional rugby. These are elite guys. But, um, you know, absolutely, the head could have maybe been slightly down the side. But, you know, in the end of the day, I think he made the tackle. I, I, I didn't think it warranted a penalty. Yeah, I'd be agreeing with that. I think um, from my definitely green and gold colored glasses here, it was one of the best tackles that I can recall seeing. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that it was Mpimpi, correct? Um, yeah, so I think that Mpimpi yeah, was in a yeah. process of a, being about to launch himself in the air to try and ride the tackle, have his feet go over the sideline, but in the air and place the ball down. Um, I, I, th- I thought he was actually just trying to stand up and yep. take, he could see the hit. He must have seen a shadow coming and it was almost like he was bracing himself and the force has just knocked him Maybe. and taken him higher. I, almost, I, I, sort of, I sort of feel like in fairness to him, it was that's all it was. It was just trying to brace itself and hopefully bounced out. Yeah, I think the um the the but, um, outcry that's but physics physics that, had other it, ideas. It? That's it. The force <laughs> and the pace. I mean, the players and coaches have been speaking about Marika after the game. He's without a doubt up there as the world's best eleven. I'm not going to say he definitely is. Um, I would struggle to see another player in world rugby that can do what he does in terms of his involvement the physicality that he brings to that number 11 position, his speed and endurance across the entirety of the game is something to be marveled at. And uh, Mm. may there be many, many more tackles like that as long as they're not getting called for a penalty because they shouldn't be called for a penalty in my mind. Um, The only thing about that Sam Warburton point that I just want to quickly touch on, he says that um, it should have been a penalty because Marika had his head in the wrong side of the tackle. Mm. I'd be arguing that there's absolutely no penalty. There's no law that could be penalised under. So it's an odd comment from the man, but if he's just pointing out the danger of it. I, I'm, I'm assuming he's, yeah, I'm assuming the penalty is still just going to be for either a shoulder charge or lack of arm, mm-hmm. that he's still on the camp and that if he's put his head in the right place, there's probably going to be less of a, uh, it'll be less obvious because the head will be behind behind the butt. The arm yeah, sure. Hitting, you yeah. know what I mean? It would have been a much, 
better looking tackle, but he may not have stopped him. You know? So who knows? I don't, it, um, but yeah, no, man, I, I, it's funny how like in a game like that, usual story, it's like those little moments that come sort of walking uh, when there was actually so many other players that were uh, key to the victory and I guess key to the defeat as well for South Africa. So why don't we speak to a couple of those players that really impressed us throughout the game? Who, aside from Marika, stood out to you from the Wallabies or the um, or the Springbok? Well, look, I, we, we touched upon him before and, you know, look, I don't know if he's been off-season, been taking um, Stanislavski acting uh, uh, method, method at classes, but I still think Nick White is so crucial to the Hall of News right now. Now, look, let's talk about the incident. I thought it was outrageous. Uh, the minute he went down, because, you know, they've, they've, and my dad was actually like, oh, no, no, he's, he's struck him in the face. I'm like, I think he's barely touched his whiskers. And I think there was this sort of, they kept slow motion it. Um, I, I thought, again, again, too harsh. He shouldn't have got a yellow card for that. But, yeah, there is obviously going to be a, a reaction from across the, the ditch or across the other ditch. South Africa about Nick White's theatrics, but he does that. Nick White's an, an agitator. It's part of his, um, you know, part of his sort of makeup as a halfback. And I don't know other halfbacks are probably that different. But anyway, to talk about the rugby, I just think the way in which he sort of controlled our um, game managed and the fact that he's still such a crucial kicker. I know Hodge was there to put in some long bombs, but and Nick White's kicking is so crucial, both in open play, but also, um, when it comes to sort of kicking for touch and 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 the, the there were a couple of moments where we had i think we got a penalty at the line out um south africa might have engaged too early or the scrum no it was a scrum the scrum engaged too early and um nick white just takes the ball off the base and then sprints up with marika on his outside and then punts it downfield right in the middle of the field and gets a huge amount of territory from that and it's just i love the confidence that he plays with and yes I think in that moment it was taken too far and um, it shouldn't definitely shouldn't have been a yellow to Faf. I agree, penalty. But at the same time, Faf's no freaking angel. The amount of rubbish he gets up to on the rugby field, <laughs> there's part of me that just goes, yeah, right, sucked in. You finally got one back at you. Um, and yeah. whatever. They're, 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 they're scrum half. They're the, they're, the, they're the, you know, they're not the problem trials, but they're the, the, the school board, school, schoolyard yep. brats of, of rugby. And they always have been, and they probably always will be. And I don't think that we want that to end, ever end. Sort of. Well, James Slipper said after the game, he was asked about it, and he's like, "Mate, my head was in the in the scrum. I didn't see anything." Uh, and <laughs> when it was explained to him and asked if the boys would be giving it to Whitey, and they'd be like, "Yeah, probably a bit more than usual." He cops it all a lot in camp. <laughs> I just, I just love the honesty with which White is very obviously a character. Um, and draw some attention from the boys, mm. but that doesn't take away from the quality of his play. So we've got Marika, we've got um, we've got Nick White. Who else stood out to you within this match? Um, look, I think he's been playing consistently. And I, I still want him to go up another rank, but I'm um, you know Rob Valentini. I think it is sort of you know he's important in defence, important in attack. Uh, I, I'd like to see a bit. I suppose sort of you know leadership from him at crucial moments um i think sometimes player that sort of um you know, almost like he's i, I see him as eventually being Artie severe as, as good as if not better than Artie severe and he's not quite there yet but you know he's played even even when we lost against argentina i thought he had a fairly reasonable um game i think he's getting better so i sort of enjoyed him is he number eight i'm not sure um could he be a six 
um, and would bring someone else. But to be honest with you, I don't think anyone else can yep. take that number eight position. So, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Harry Wilson. Um, but I think at the moment, you'd say Valentini's pretty safe where he... Uh, yeah, I would agree with that there. at this point. I think he needs to develop, in some ways, a little bit more aggression within his play. I see that with with, with um, Artie Surveyor. He is just such, and I, I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, but such an animal with the way in which he just throws himself wholeheartedly into every encounter and every moment of physicality that he is a part of. And he, at times, just single-handedly carries either the Canes or the All Blacks through matches. Um, whereas I don't think Valentini's got that consistency of higher-level performance yet across his career, although he does have some really incredible involvements. Uh, a couple of other players that I thought um, were really, really positive was Noah Lolasiu's return to the starting 10 jersey was, in my mind, quite successful, I think likely because of his pairing with Nick White on the inside, having Lenny Ikatao at 13, Tom Wright 14 as well, enabled him to have probably a more secure um, and more comfortable transition back into the gold. Uh, and I actually really enjoyed the contributions from Reese Hodge. He was safe and secure. Um, I don't think he was perfect in everything that he did. I don't think he is the world's best 15, but he is providing enough security and stability for Marika and Tom Wright to go searching for the ball a bit more to, um, yeah, just involve themselves in the game to a greater extent than they might with somebody who is less secure. I feel also that you look at the way rugby's played more and more in international rugby, a lot of high ball, um, a lot of teams are opting for the kick. Having a tall, athletic uh, fullback, pretty pretty crucial. You know, England have got Joe, uh, Joe, Joe Marshall. Um, Stewart, I think he's Stewart, kind of, um, um, Freddie Stewart. Sorry, sorry yeah, yeah, yeah Freddie, Freddie Stewart, Freddie Stewart. Um, you know, you go back to all, I guess when when we had guys like Israel Folau and that, and they were very good in the air. And I'm seeing that going to be. We know that this is going to be a tactic most teams will use in the World Cup. So you know, our other options at fullback, um, probably right for. I think the the the, the right uh, experiment is over. But whether it's a Kirtley Beal. Uh, or mm. whether Banks is back in time, you know, are they as good in the air? And I think that's a massive, for me, a yep. massive pick about Reese Hodge is I would probably back him um, as, as, a, as a 15 covering the, yep. Yep. the air good attack. Call. All right. So what we might do is start to wrap up this game because it is a lot of rugby to talk about. So moving forward, I think there are some big questions that Australia are going to need to be able to answer. Uh, our line out was, um, in the nicest of ways, horrific on the weekend. Uh, so if we look at the match stats, we had a 53% success record. So Falau Fainga has a lot to answer there. His throwing was very, very poor compared to what he's demonstrated in the last few games. So his his game was nowhere near what it needs to be at at this level. I don't think we're going to get a get-out-of-jail-free card again from South Africa. So we've got to improve in that area. And our scrum also struggled at a couple of points. So I'm not sure if Dave Parecki slotting in, I think his throwing is probably more consistent than Flau's. We might lose something in terms of the running threat that Flau can provide, but that's one change. Would you be thinking any other changes for the team for next week? Look, I wouldn't. And, you know, you know me, I'm a big fan of, 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 of cohesive sort of approaches to the game. And I think giving the same squad more or less... Um, uh, whether or not they want to bring, I don't know if anyone's going to be coming back from injury that might make the sort of the bench. Um, but I would probably leave the 15 as it is, especially if you're playing as, as they're playing the same team. So mm. um, whether or not they may tweak 
uh, a couple of those those bench bench positions or not is another thing. But man, I I think just put put another put another twenty on red and roll it again. Uh, yep. Yep, and continue the what is it? Last eight wins against South Africa on Australian soil. So here's hoping at the new Alliance Stadium uh, that will continue. So that's going to be an exciting match. Can't wait to get out to that one. Um, all right, are you good to move on to New Zealand Argentina? I, I think so. I think my only other thing was just commenting on uh, playing in Adelaide. Um, I think. Oh know, yeah. Obviously, people were sort of you know hope ho- hoping for it to be a sellout. It didn't. It was 36,000. I think it holds just over 50, but that's a reasonable showing, I would have thought, for South Australia. Um, could they have done more with the, the the time it was played on? I'm not sure. But, you know, overall, the, the atmosphere looked good on TV. I'm not sure what it was like for, for people who were there. And, um, you know, South Australia, what role is it going to play in the next few years? Is it just going to be a, a World Cup uh, pool destination in a few years' time? Or, yep. or do do Australian rugby have plans to do something about building up Adelaide? I I, I have and I, this is a cheap way of me throwing in my tweet from a few days ago, but <laughs> I've, I've put I've put forward a motion that um, we try and bring the the Haguares back to Super Rugby Pacific and base them out of Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And I think you know the idea being that you're never going to get a team out of Adelaide from scratch that could compete at that level. You'd have to transplant a, a team from sort of you know somewhere else that's. Uh, that's that's um you know already sort of put together but you know Adelaide clearly has or South Australia clearly has a rugby community and and they obviously need to be satisfied and there's obviously people from sort of WA that would be going across for games like like, like you know a lot of a lot of Saffers so anyway it's it's an interesting experiment I'm glad they got a good crowd because I think it's 36,000 I think it's a decent crowd yep. um you know and hopefully hopefully there might be something in the next few years that we see happen down in down in the uh, in Radelaide. Radelaide, indeed. So there are a couple of points that I did just want to raise. Um, for those of you who might be wondering, whilst Matt is a wonderful, wonderful guest to have, you might be thinking, where's Mitch? Where is Mitch? And he, unfortunately for us, is away with his wife on a holiday. How ridiculous. Um, and so he has sent through a couple of points that he wanted to raise. I think we'll just mention them uh, because we've covered a few of them already. But one, Noah was very present at 10, which was a big contrast contrast to James O'Connor last game clearly the game plan Rennie wants to utilize so the more time for Noah now the better keep Foley as a backup last case scenario fair enough two the box were off their game in key areas physicality game management and accuracy do we expect them to bounce back next week and not sure if selections were the issue or travel uh one point we'll quickly say on that what does Karl Marx need to do to be starting for South Africa he's up there is the best hooker in world rugby, and yet he can't even make the starting 15. Um, Hallmarks or Malcolm Marks? <laughs> that one. Sorry, I'm literally teaching communist theory at the moment for school. Why did I? <laughs> maybe that's his problem. Maybe Malcolm's spending <laughs> too much time sort of with the book in, in oh. sort of uh, secret society halls um, debating. Not that. Oh, no, look, I me. think um, <laughs> you're right. There's obviously a strategy there. I, I do think. I do think it's something around the way the game has evolved, where it's a team of 23, not a 15. And so they've got guys who are either they're 50 minute players, 50 minute players, or they see the benefit of bringing in someone who can finish a game and clean up another team expelled all their energy. And look, to some degree, maybe that explains the Wallabies drop off at the end. But yeah, I think, I mean, Mark, he came on quite relatively, I oh, know he came on for a blood bin 
for a blood bin in the like yeah. fifteenth minute or yeah. something. Um, I, I did feel for Dweber. I thought, geez, one bad line out pass and he's uh he's getting yanked. But no, it was blood bin. And look, you're right. He he's clearly one of the best players in that world. Um, but I don't know. I guess Springboks have got a plan. They've always been good at developing teams. Um, year and a half out of the World Cup, uh, part of the part of the plan to sort of get more game time for the for the other players, or um, just confuse everyone, and then you know we've seen Mark start most games. Maybe it's a long con, and we're all getting sucked into it. All right, a couple of other points from Mitch before we move on. Um, number three, South African pundits need to pull their heads in. They can't continue to carry on like this after every game, in my opinion, or uh, Mitch's opinion. Williams did make a few questionable calls, but for mine, got all the important calls correct. And um, South Africa actually had the rub of the green in terms of the penalty count as well. So there might have been a couple of calls that didn't go their way, but it was 16-9 against Australia. So there were seven points um, clear of seven penalties clear of Australia. Uh, and then lastly, if White didn't dive, it doesn't get pulled up. He's learning that from the England series. It's not a great look to milk the penalty, but Faf did swipe him in the face. And we've got to remember that. Um, so, uh, yeah. Any, he, any quick he, responses for those? He brushed his moustache. In fact, you should be thanking tickled, him for... Tickled. Thanking him for cleaning the food off his top lip. Let's face it. It, it was um, No, no, I appreciate Mitch's point of view. And I think he's right. There was a lot of... I mean, I don't know if social media is reflective of what fans from all countries are like. I certainly had a couple of WhatsApp chat groups with um, some staffers. And, and they were actually pretty... Humble, they said, no, Australia deserved to win it, no, no complaints, which was actually kind of unusual for one or two of them. Um, <laughs> but I think, um, look, every country's got its sort of, uh, its side fan, group of fans. Hear it on Twitter. I, I know there was a, a couple of notable, well, uh, one notable um, South African uh, Twitter, uh, what do you call them, Jerno, who, 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 who's, uh, yeah, who, who um, got off Twitter, has closed his account. And I'm like, geez, if, if every Australian rugby Twitter person uh, jumped off Twitter after a loss. There'd be no one left after the last few years. <laughs> it would have been gone a long time ago, especially Waratahs fans as well. Yeah, mate. I know. That, I know. Yeah, there were some hard, hard, dark years there. Yeah. <laughs> but no, look. All right. Let's. I just also, lastly, I like that it's taken you about 20 odd minutes to notice and make a point that I'm not here. So I'm obviously having a nice, smooth transition into the, uh, into the hot seat. That's exactly right, mate. Your dulcet tones are just overshadowing any previous competition. But <laughs> New Zealand, Argentina, the first win on home soil ever for Argentina against New Zealand. And if my memory slash readings are correct, it is the first three consecutive losses on home soil that New Zealand have experienced in over 100 years. So... This is a momentous occasion by any reckoning. And I think it was also the manner of the defeat, which was really, really important. Um, the Argentinian defence was immense. The New Zealand attack was um, enthusiastic and uh, running from all areas of the field, 418 run metres to 187, possession 61 to 39, territory 63 to 37, and yet... The Argies won. How big was this game and how good was this game to watch? You, you know what I'm going to talk about. You just... Please. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, you're right. It was an, it was an amazing defensive effort. Um, I threw, I threw this, the game on. I had to get ready for something else on Saturday. And I'm old. I said, look, I'll put the game on. 
I was doing other things, coming in and out, you know, the sort of, sort of even Stevens around sort of halfway through the game. And then I just came in. I was like, wow, this, this is actually going to be a good finish. And so we sat and watched the last 20 minutes. We actually had to be out, out. You know, we're getting called to get ready to go out. Five minutes to go. We're like, we can't go anywhere. This is like momentous. And it was. And, um, you know, look, to, to talk more bluntly, New Zealand had plenty of attack. They had plenty of possession. Um, and they just couldn't pierce through the the the, the blue wall. Um, could they have tried other things? Maybe. But probably wasn't. Richie Moonga's best game, I think, you know, we didn't see his inventiveness. But again, that also comes from an opposition team creating pressure. Mm-hmm. Huge amounts of pressure. I think that's where you saw that across the board from the usual, um, the usual sort of uh, characters as well. Lavanini, head off once. So it was, um, yeah, a really good effort. Lavanini is annoyingly composed at the moment. Um, I keep <laughs> expecting him to do something absolutely harebrained and get a red card because he's just got form. But he he's managed to pull himself in and play with both aggression and uh, astuteness, which is which is so frustrating. But taking a look at some of the defensive efforts from um, Argentina, from Los Pumas, you have. Um, Orlando, the center, the number 12, 16 tackles, one miss. Montoya or James Slipper with 18 and two misses. You have uh, Alemano with 12, Lavanini with 17, Crema, 26 tackles. Like that is Herculean by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I would love to see a breakdown of how many of those were dominant or passive or whatever, because he's a player that when he hits, he sticks the vast majority of the time. Uh, he's he's been immense the last couple of years. Look, I said I was, you know, what I was going to talk about. And I'll talk about it. So obviously, I believe cohesion to be huge impact teams that sort of can consistent. Not every game, but anyone that listens to my stuff, said people like Tom Carlin, um, but lay out there. This is a great example because you don't even need to go to this. Go back two years ago, Sydney. And, and 11, just looking at it, 11 guys in this team that beat on the weekend were in that same zone of 23 back in 2020. So, you know, not that consistent. But surprise, surprise, how many players do you reckon out of the 23 on the weekend um, played the regular? From the 23, I'm just having a look at them right now. <laughs> of, do, uh, do, a lot. Do, do, do. Be some thinking music in while we... <laughs> uh, let's go 13. No, it's not. It's 19. And um, 19. The, the three that one of them played for the, the one that didn't actually play for the Haguaros, 15, so they're 18. And the other two in Gala, Luciotinti, uh, I don't pronounce that correctly, yep. um, uh, too young. They haven't been around. They've only been playing the Haguaros around for chance to play for them. So, you know, it, it is remarkable that one club is basically the feeder for another team. And that was true. Twenty out of twenty-three, I think, um, years ago, they won. And how did they win? They won. They won through an incredible defensive. They didn't outscore yep. the All Blacks, and they did it again. Cohesion, as Ben will tell you, uh, it manifests itself in. So you know, and I know I've sort of sound like someone drunk the Kool Aid a bit too much, but you just can't sort of see these sorts of results. And go, oh, it must be something. They must have played out of it. They, you know, I just feel like you start to see this consistency of. Wow, you know it's really stark, and I guess it brings back to a point I've been challenged on. If the Haguaros don't come back, 
I believe over the next years, this generation of players, the Pumas struggle to play and be consistent. They may not win every game, but at the moment they're playing really good, consistent rugby. They're worthy of being probably considered the top five in the world. Um, but that I think is through the benefit of a few years this same player coming in. Just playing really And you look at the team, and this is with Gonzalo Bertrano at nine and Santiago Carreras at 10. So you're not even getting their kind of first choice nine and tens into the picture, but they're players that they picked and stuck with for a few games now that are building those combinations together. And uh, Montoya is in the form of his life. He's just immense right now. Uh, Probably one of the best, um, along with Malcolm Marx, not Karl Marx or Friedrich Engels. (laughs) Um, He is one of the best um, over the ball hookers going around so yeah immense respect for the way in which he's able to be um consistent with the quality of his play considering he's both the captain and he's getting immense minutes as well within yeah. within each match um so i mean we have to talk the, about the checker thing, michael checker surely i mean exactly <laughs> and that was where i was going to go here because you can very easily um ascribe this performance uh, either to, from, from a Kool-Aid drinking perspective to the cohesion principle that you've been talking about. Um, you could conversely be talking about the, the failures of Ian Foster as a New Zealand coach um, and the issues that are happening within the All Blacks. But also we need to bring Michael Checker into the equation here and really give him some plaudits for the quality rugby that this Argentinian team are playing under his tutelage and under his guidance. Well, he's, he's there, um, he's having his quote-unquote first season as head coach. Mm. He was there two years ago um, yeah, as, as assistant. In fact, he was there. So he was part of that coaching team, um, that, that, that architecture, the architectural team of, of the, the, the demise of the All Blacks in 2020. So, you know, he's got to obviously assume that he's coming on with the same group of players. He already understands their playing, the playing group. He knows what the coach philosophies been uh before he came along just sort of working with him so it's almost like he's he's surely hitting the ground running here rather than you know unlike say dave rennie a couple years ago having to start from scratch completely playing um what's he got but where, where is he having to go is he showing everything that argentina can do now or has he got a master plan to try and unveil as they all will sometime sort of next july um, but ultimately, I'm 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 very happy for Checker. I've always liked Checker, um, and and I'm I'm sort of happy that doing well. Who knows what what will happen sort of with Argentina if they have a team to go all the way? But mate, they're certainly going to trouble people in the pool stage, and you know once you get to quarters, it's in. That's exactly the point. Know. And um, for for mine, Michael Checker has always been a coach or a or a personality that um, I've he's quite charismatic in some ways. He you want to like him, or at least I find myself wanting to like him. But I always, used, I used, always used to get frustrated when he'd make these comments like, "Oh no, I don't watch, I don't study what other teams do. I don't watch the, I don't watch the, the videos of other teams." I'm like, "Of course you do. Of co- why are you putting, making yourself sound dumb? Like you're not analyzing the other teams' play. That's just ridiculous." And so it was just those moments of media games that he was never really that good at. 
Eddie Jones is the master of that. And I think um, him getting shown up in that England series on Australian soil, particularly in the mind games and the tactical side of things, made it really hard for me to support Michael Checker as a Wallabies coach at that point in time. But I'm quite happy to see his um, resurgence and growth as a coach for Argentina, as long as they don't beat us again. Well, you have to also, and look, you talk about the game, you have to ask yourself, why is it that Wallaby coaches um, do really well they get qualification, then have results go away, and in most cases do pretty well after the mm-hmm. tenure? You have to ask those, and this is an, the administration has to be looking going, well, why did we let this guy go? He's now sort of moving on and he's quite well. It, was he, is he just lucky now, or was there something that environment having mm. yeah. and we're seeing that now in Dave Rennie where, you know great coach great playing group but they obviously are still failing to get into the top tier um, but you know who knows we, we, we can't judge it still probably hashtag in running your trust always remember that it will keep you warm and safe <laughs> at night knowing that we you and I enjoy talking rugby far too much we do need to keep on going is there anything final that you wanted to say on this game before we move on no, all I'll say is that if you're a New Zealand fan, don't give up. Like, the rest of the world has caught up. That's what's happened. And the All Blacks are still a very good team. still believe they can be the best. Maybe they need a coaching change. Um, maybe they need to, you know, there are some players that are, are not quite in the right position yet. But, man, it's a hot team, hot squad on paper. And they've got all they need to sort of back. Um, I just think the rest of the world yep. has caught up. Yep, that's all. All right. Well, let's leave it on that point and head on into the Wallaroos versus Black Ferns chat. Let's go. We moved to an earlier match in the Triple International Header Weekend. So it was a double header game at Adelaide Oval. Started off by the Wallaroos having a uh, round two against the Black Ferns. So they were beaten 52 to 5 last week in Christchurch, which was a handy, handy defeat that really showed the um, disparity between the kind of the support the structures, but also the time in the saddle that the Black Ferns had compared to the Wallaroos. But Our women came together and put forward a very strong performance going down 22 to 14 in their tightest ever defeat to New Zealand. Um, I really recommend that people watch uh, read Britt Mitchell on ESPN's article about this. It's a really, really good review. But either way, it was a great game to watch and a much improved performance from the Wallaroos. Look, sorry. Yeah, go for it, mate. (laughs) Sounded like you were cutting away to, 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 to a sequence. No, look, you're right. I mean, it was... It, it was it was um it was tough the week before, wasn't it? And I think if you're a if you're a, a cynic like I am, you look at it and go, well, it's you know it's professional versus amateur. The only problem is not supporting supporting the women because you know they clearly, as our sevens, we might talk about it later. But as our sevens shows, they clearly have the talent, and they have the the desire. I think the players, especially, you, know, you watch the, the the social media stuff, and, and the women are clearly. Here, rugby, and, and they just need that support because you know we can definitely do this. But then, yeah, a week later at the Adelaide home crowd and, and a massive turnaround. And I thought she thought they, they did a I don't know whether they, they, they swapped notes during the week with the Wallabies, but they certainly started well. It was mm-hmm. That sort of first 10 minutes where, um, you know, they probably unfor- and were definitely unfortunate not to score the try in the corner, um, 
first try, but then um, Tarina, who was on debut as well, then literally it was like a sort of a, 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 a replay yep. down the corner. And they go out to a great start. And, you know, again, that's the sort of making team knows how to start well, execute a strategy. Unfortunately, maybe professional coming, they just couldn't sustain the whole game. And really one of the key areas that they were particularly struggling in is the set piece, both scrum and line out. In both of those areas, the black firms just dominated them. So by the end of the match, again, I'm reading from Britt Mitchell here because she's the one that's got some great stats for this. Um, by the end of the match, they would have lost five line outs with only 54% success rate, which is pretty shocking. Um, Ash Masters was uh, placed on the bench um, in this match because I think of... Uh, some of the issues that she'd had last week in terms of the line-out throwing, it wasn't significantly improved within this game, which is disappointing. And the line-out itself, Eva Kapani was brought on to the starting team in the place of, I believe it was Bridie O'Gorman. Um, and I hope I've got the right side of the scrum there. But either way, her added physicality and bulk definitely made an impact in the loose. But in terms of the set piece, they were still going backwards the vast majority of the time. And I'm just... I'm not convinced that we yet have the size and the strength in our locking department to be able to be more effective. And I'm not sure who you would place within those areas. Not sure if you try and convert someone like Grace Kemp with the great physicality and size that she has into kind of a maybe a five, six hybrid. Um, but either way, it's really a challenging area for um, Jay Tregenning to be addressing moving forward because they seem to be just not able to hold possession and keep that momentum going throughout longer stretches of the game. They might start well and then not be able to continue on because they just can't keep a hold of their own ball off the set piece. Yeah, and I guess the question has to ask is, is, it, is, the, is the issues with the set piece just simply that it's a technical part of the game and technical parts of the game get addressed by players who are full-time working on those aspects because, you know, the loose play, and we had some, we've got great forwards in, you know, Grace Hamilton was back, um, you know, Chancellor, and Liz Partu is a machine. Mm -hmm. Like they, These guys were great in the loose and they were certainly critical into getting that forward momentum. But you're right, when it comes to the set piece, you know, you have to be, you have to be good. You have to be spot on. And, and if you want to look at, the, the people who are leading that the charge and are just playing perfect rugby. It's the English Roses who are, you know, the, 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 that part of the game is just, it's a given. They're going to get their line back. They're going to get their scrums back. And, you know, if we can't master those two aspects of it, then, yeah, we're going to be struggling having to defend and then rely on our, um, you know, our Arabella McKenzie's and Marley Murphy's to try and sort of, you know, bring out something a bit individual to get us over the line. So, you know, this is, I think, was, what I see in the women's game is sort of what I think has happened in the men's game in decades gone past, where Australian rugby has no shortage of talented um, ball players, uh, uh, wingers, um, speedsters. It's the physicality in the forwards and getting that structure and making sure that that is set up. Once that's set up, everything else is already there ready to go. We have a really good back line. We get sevens players coming through. I mean, you know, Tarina's come through from the sevens. Um, Georgina Frederick as well. As well. Ge Ge Georgina Fredericks was there. You know, yep. she's critical and setting up that. Like these are players that are clearly getting developed through sevens that come into fifteens, and and I think that's going to be critical to the development of our of the Wallaroos like yep. moving forward. But you know, it you're right. The forward pack has to be addressed, 
and it has to be addressed quickly. Otherwise, you know, they're just going to be, you know, playing catch up um, come come set piece time. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, one of the points you made in terms of the amount of technicality in the set piece, I remember chatting with some of the um, forwards like Harry Johnson Holmes, who we've had on in the past and Scotty CEO, and they've spoken about the, the muscle memory required for line out movements. And that just comes through repetition, re um, repeat movement after repeat movement. And if you don't have the time in camp or the time in long training sessions um, and training blocks, then that muscle memory is just really, really hard to gain. And so I, I sympathize for the Wallaroos because without a doubt, they are playing with heart and effort and pride and jersey and putting out their best efforts every week. But they're coming up against a really challenging scenario where they just don't have the structure and the resources to enable them to succeed. And a great example of that conversely would then be the women's sevens team who have the Olympic funding because they're a good chance of a gold medal at the Olympic Games. So they get heaps of IOC funding that comes from there. And you see the quality of the athletes within the Women's Sevens program, and they are immense in what they can do. Their skills are on point. Their fitness is next level. Their ability to do simple things like pass the ball in front of a player at pace uh, late on within a game whilst exhausted is there for all to see and yet why can't our 15s do that well because there's not the funding to give them the training to be able to produce that well and, and also you can at this at this point in time i think still think you can point a finger at the administration and say why were they not put on planes and allowed to play a few games at the back end of um last year um every other yep. you know the, the canada the black ferns everyone got over to europe and played some games and the wallaroos basically have had two years out you know, yep. everyone got done done in COVID and then 2021 they didn't play either so um you know they're, they're now desperately trying to scrabble some games in preparation for the world cup it's a hard ask yeah definitely um well either way well done Wallaroos. that was a strong performance and we're looking forward to uh seeing more games in the future i think this was the last time they're playing the black ferns prior to the world cup um i'm just taking yep. a quick look yeah the next game that they're playing at all is against New Zealand on the 8th of October um, at Eden Park against New Zealand and Scotland and Wales and they're three hard games that they're going to be playing. Huge, huge games. And yeah, but you know what? You never know what could happen between now and then. I just, I hope they, um, I hope they sort of, they go well and I hope people get behind them because, you know, Wallaroos are critical, I think. Not you know, in the same way that the Wallabies are. I think a lot of people... 15s rugby is so critical into developing um, passion and participation. And, you know, if we can unlock the Wallaroos, I just think it'll take a lot of pressure off the rest of Australian rugby. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Well, mate, why don't we jump straight on in? I don't think there's any need for a break in segment or anything like that here because we've got some pretty exciting news. The men's sevens team have come away with a bronze medal at the Los Angeles tour which crowns them the World Series champions for the first time in their history. How bloody exciting is that? It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And look, I say this again as a bit of a, not a huge Sevens fan, but even I this weekend was like, you know, logging on the app and watching the games and trying to sort of figure out all the machinations. Great tournament because it went down to the last couple of games. You know, yep. you had um, four potential winners uh, in this tournament. And then once South Africa didn't, make it through the pool stages it was down to three and then once we lost to fiji it was still sort of um you know whittled down to us and fiji it was, it was fantastic and yeah i think you know your hats off to the the, the team 
that are behind that because it's been a hard slog. And um, I think, you know, they, and I know you guys chatted with, um, you've, you've had a few of them on your show. Sean Menenti. You, know, you, yep. know, you know how, yeah, good old Menenti. Um, shout out to the Nags head back in the day. He was the, he was the publican when I was playing rugby back in Sydney, <laughs> I remember. Um, but look, he he absolutely, and, and, and Tim Walsh for the women, they, they have worked so hard uh, with everyone else in the last few years. In, in the wake of, I guess, the, the the disappointment of the Tokyo Olympics, coming back, clawing it back, trying to get the respect back, but also obviously sticking to what their plan was, which was we have a group of players that can do it. We've just got to figure out, you know, how to get the best out of them and, you know, make all credit to them. It's, it's very much so. Game. And I think the part that makes this really exciting is the way in which, or makes it even more special, is the way in which John Menenti has had to, with a fairly short lead in after swapping positions with Tim Walsh, who's now heading up the women's, is that he um, he's had to draw upon players from shoot shield rugby that he's identified like um, Matt Gonzalez from Eastwood, uh, Henry Patterson as well. So younger players or less experienced players and really through the course of basically 12 months, he's managed to bring them together and get them to be so competitive consistently in the world series that they put themselves in the position for with a few fortunate encounters in terms of other teams' results, particularly the Blitzbox, the South Africans, who didn't make it um, into the finals or the quarterfinals, um, it basically meant that, yeah, he's, he's given himself every opportunity in really challenging scenarios. So well done, John Menenti. Well done to the entire team and set up behind the men's and women's sevens because the women are also the World Series champions too. So currently we are top of the world, men and women for the World Series for sevens. How good is that? Absolutely, it's great. Next question is, how do we capitalize on it? How does yeah. Australia capitalize yep. on this? Because we, we you know, and again, I'll sort of talk about the other side of it. I'm trying to watch, uh, I, I, when I, when I, told my old man uh, sorry i know my old man's giving a lot of shit <laughs> i've got i've got family with me in the uk at the moment so um, it's special but, it's special but it is um but but you know i said to him oh did you see the sevens result and his first was his first reply was yeah we lost to fiji i said yeah but we won the whole thing he's like oh did we and my old man knows his rugby be passionate you know wallaby support and all that sort of stuff but it does sort of beg that question how do we get sevens uh out to the public, at the Australian mm. public? How do we get more people, you know, understanding the world, the global calendar that World Rugby have and the significance of competitions and games? And, you know, obviously time zones are a real pain and it's really hard to, to, to keep your attention across an entire weekend. And I think that's sort of one, one puzzle that has to be sort of fixed. But, you know, massive opportunity because it's very rare to have both your your teams um number one at the same time exactly well there are some great questions that come from that and smarter minds than us will hopefully be considering that one so let's leave it there and i'm very excited to jump into the locker room to answer your questions from our social media account so let's go into that now resume again three two one all right, moving now to what might be the best part of the show, which is the locker room. And we have had a flood of questions, comments, and just outrageous opinions. Actually, I'm not sure than the last one, but hopefully. And very excited to get in. It, it is um, slightly entertaining to see how many questions or comments come in when the Wallabies win. So I'm also hoping for a spike in our uh, ratings and listenings as well, but <laughs> let's see how that one goes. Jock Cudmore begins. Should refs be more lenient with the rules so the game flows better? 
or should teams play to the rules? New Zealand said the game didn't flow. So do you play to the rules? If there's, sorry. So you sh- if you play to the rules, there are no issues. Shouldn't expect refs to be lenient for the sake of letting teams bend the rules to allow them to play a certain way. So there's a lot to go with there. But would you prefer, Matt, to be seeing a bit more leniency applied within the way the rules are refereed? Or are you happy with the current approach of being fairly strict and expecting teams to adapt? Oh, look, there are so many aspects to it. In, in short terms, you've got to play to the rules. Have rules there for a reason, or laws, rugby, purists would say. Ultimately, there are parts where you have to let them play. For instance, if there's an obstruction and the player, the opposition, has not been obstructed, you don't need to pull up. Um, similarly, there are other aspects where no real law has been broken, but it's sort of up to the referee. I think that's what they mean by letting it play. I don't think you want referees to be uh, letting rucks play for one game, but then not um, then then being too harsh and following. There has to be game to game but you know i think it is sort of there, there are aspects where referees sort of like then so i think this will be i'll put this out there and just say the thing that absolutely does my head in is when a lineup gets called for not being straight and it's a bit of a marginal not straight and the defending team has not thrown anybody up into the air that that one just does my head in just play the game Play the damn game. If it doesn't affect anybody and they weren't trying to compete anyway, just let it go. Um, Mick Ryan, have New Zealand become the checker era Wallabies, insisting on playing their game regardless of the opposition? And if so, how do we encourage them to stick with it? <laughs> yeah, look, as I said before, I think everyone else has just caught up with New Zealand, but they do feel like they've become uh, less creative. Uh, look, I'm happy with them to stick with whatever they're doing. Uh, we're either going to see... Uh, that much more of the same, or you're going to see something special when they when they come out of the the box. But um, yeah, look, mate, they they are definitely they are definitely going through a bit of a crisis of confidence. It'll be interesting to see how they play, how they come back from it, if they come back. Mick Ryan also has another uh, comment here, that TMO injection, WTF. And I'll, I'll respond to this one. So this is a TMO <laughs> interjection after Noel Asius. Uh Oh no, after. When was this TMO interjection? It's the one where he nearly gets done for the slapdown. Um, oh yeah, yeah. After the after, yeah, he, he, he the first yeah. Quagga Smith try was it? I think um, it was. Yeah, he um he he just was sort of basically trying to knock it back, and he did knock it back. But if it had and gone the ref the other called way, it live, that that was a frustrating thing. And I completely agree, Mick. Um, it was really frustrating because the try had been awarded, the conversion had been kicked, and the game was about to restart. And then the TMO brings it up. And the ref had adjudicated on it in real time at the moment that it happened. So that's the part that I was frustrated by. Um, just let the game flow. And as people were saying who were at the game, you're not hearing what the TMO is saying at the ground. So everyone's just standing around for two to three minutes doing nothing. And so the crowd's getting bored. So yeah, bugger off TMO. You didn't need to get involved there. Uh, John Corbett. Hey guys, two weeks ago when New Zealand Grand Treat Foster through to the Robbie World Cup, it pinged in my mind they must have assumed for certain they'd win the next four games versus Argentina and Australia to make that call. I reckon Chiki used that as motivation on Saturday. Thoughts? P.S. I am richer as a result. Well done, John. Glad to hear that. Um, do you think New Zealand Rugby Union are reconsidering Foster's position after just giving him the full support of the board? Oh, look, I can't think they... Why would they backflip again? I guess they could, but it just seems like they've, they've made their decision um, you have to ask the question of the board. Why did you select this guy in the first place? What made it so? What what made you think that he was the best person for the job? And and if so, what has changed? 
um, Scott Robinson or any other coach does not want to be coming in now and then having to go to next year's World Cup with an underprepared squad or a squad they haven't had enough time with. So, you know, I just don't see... I think the moment's passed. I think it's too far, far gone now. Short of there being an absolute calamity for New Zealand rugby, an absolute calamity would probably be losing the Bledisloe and winning like one game away on tour at the end of this year. Short of that happening, I can't see Foster getting um, ditched at this point. Yep, fair enough. Hugh Tindall asks, has time run out for Vinavalu? Clearly behind Kilauea and Wright, should have been in Oz A, in my opinion. Too much athletic talent not to have developed him properly. Totally agree. Should have been in Oz A, as the old rugby saying goes, use it or lose it. Use him. Well, it looks like we're going to be losing him. He'll be around for another year, but I'm not sure how much time he'll actually get in the saddle. Uh, Michael Gardner has got in touch. Actually, I'll go Connor Whitaker first. One question, one comment. Question, what's your thought on America tackle? Heard lots of calls for a card for a shoulder charge. To me, he made a genuine attempt. Um, a little bit more, but we'll just clearly say that we've already addressed that and we think it was a great tackle, although there were some issues maybe about head placement and the like. Uh, we also have green and gold glasses on, so that impacts things too. Um, comment, White needs to face repercussions. Clear violation of rule 10.4L. Any player who dives or feigns an injury in an effort to influence the match officials will be liable for sanction. And if witness doing so, should be put in a sin bin immediately immediately um what do you think on that one mate do you think he should have received something retrospectively or at the time or do you think it's a case of needed a bit of a nigel owens to get in to say toughen up mate or grow up this isn't soccer yeah no i think i think he needs to um perhaps uh go to sydney uh enroll in a theater class i think he should be forced to do a a 50 minute interpretive uh dance uh routine that everyone has to watch if he wants to act he needs to go all out um no all all seriousness i think yeah definitely that sort of stuff Uh, look a a different referee might have looked at it and gone mate you're fine pull pull your head together this is not soccer which is exactly what nigel owens i think once said um to a player who was sort of uh you know carrying on 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 the field you know what it's happened let's all move on this week or the next game there's undoubtedly going to be another incident that'll set uh, everyone off off again um, and we'll all move on and, and maybe this will be a meme that will sort of recur every now and then but you know what more do we want to do uh, what more can we sort of take away from this whole incident it, it, it certainly it certainly didn't change the, the game I think we can say that yep all right a couple of quick fire selection questions for you um, does Swain start over Arnold I think Swain starts over Philip personally See, Rev would be out for you there. He thinks Philip is incredibly underrated. No, I do do like Philip. I think he's a workhorse, but I'd like to see Swain and Arnold start and and have Philip come on as a as a as a as a finisher, as I like to call them. Fair enough. Falau Fanga, does he start or does Dave Brecky get get the nod for you? With Falau Fanga, he he had a great he had a decent game in Argentina um, week or before. I think he has. Started, you got to give these guys an opportunity and who else are we going to go we're we just going to keep musical chairs um Brecky's okay but i think we've got to give him a few more go um i do find it offensive that you've only just labeled Parecki okay uh but we'll move on I'll, I'll forgive you for that one um andrew bailey is it time to drop taniella and give the other tight head a go he's obviously not in form at the moment does he need a rest and a good preseason to adjust to his new family situation and get back to the force of nature he was before great question 
It is. I think there's been a lot of pressure on um, Taniola Tupo with the sort of the talk about him being a, you know, potentially a million dollar player and all that sort of stuff. Look, he has not performed in the last few weeks, but everyone has their off days and, you know, we know what his capacity, we know what his capability is. Um, I think you got, again, if he's fit, let him play, keep him in there. Let's put money on red and roll again. Greg Aitken got in touch. Lineout was nearly non-functional. We know the box have a great lineout, but the Wallabies did a little to mix those up and lose their own ball consistently. Thoughts on how to overcome this problem? I'll respond to this one. Um, it was mentioned during the match that the Wallabies were not particularly effective um, in their lineouts, partly because they were getting um, the, not getting the jump, but in their first movement where they go for a fake play, they were actually like getting the time in a space where if they'd gone up, then they would have got the ball cleanly. But South Africa were reading the second phase of those movements within their lineout plays really effectively. And what they did was they actually had just Lou Diaga with one um, lifter at the front that was moving back and forward, tracking whichever player was at, bat, at the at the front of the lineout. And then they had Ivan Etzebeth, who was just standing like a rock at the back, ready to go up as soon as the ball was thrown. And it was actually Etzebeth the vast majority of the time that was making the steals or the disruptions. Um, so I think for that one, you've just got to either do the longer throws over the top where you're just avoiding the line out, maybe onto a Hunter Paisami or a Fraser McWright steaming onto it, um, or just go front phase, front front of the line out ball and just accept that you're going to lose a little bit of an edge on the front foot play because of Nick White's having to do a longer pass then. Just, just accept that. Um, vary things up a little bit. It was too predictable. They just kept going for the second um, moment within their trick plays. And it was, yeah. Way, way too easy for the quality players of Etzebeth and Lou Yaga to be able to pick off. Um, Michael Gardner, how good was it to have Hodge at 15 just doing his job? Hope he gets to 15 again. Do you think Hodge should continue at 15? Uh, I think given the current stocks we have, absolutely. Who, who else are we going to put there? Um, he hasn't had a bad game and he has played 15 in the past. So um, I think that was a great stat. Someone said that um, out of six, was it out of six uh, games that Hodge has played at 15, fullback he's won we've won four or five of them i think that might have been him at there's also a crazy stat going around with him at 10 where we like haven't lost i think he's only played once at 10 so Um, that was the okay two twice twice he um so he's played a couple of games but either way like you said (laughs) he's a stable player Um, and at the moment that's the position that hooker still the most uh undetermined and unstable unstable positions in the team um if he brings a little bit of stability mm. to it, so we can figure out maybe whether a deal or someone else or Banks is going to be back. I think you've got to Fair enough. Carlos has got in touch saying Jed Holloway was great at six, really worked hard behind the scenes. Thanks, Calito. He's the librarian at my school. <laughs> Good man. Um, Andrew Bailey, Nick White, best actor around. Not how Wazzy should play in Faf deserve the card deserve the card though. I think we've spoken to that enough. And then the final one comes in from Lincoln Adler, who's got in touch the day beforehand because he knew he had work so what's the all blacks try and break down a blue and white wall for 80 minute david kidwell has that defense absolutely humming being a kiwi though do you think he'd join the all Blacks setup in the future what do you think of that one uh i yeah i, I don't have any, i don't really have much <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, i was much the same so i'm just throwing that ball to you that hospital pass going yeah don't know enough about david kidwell he's got a league background um so that obviously comes across effectively in the defensive setup for any union team. Uh, but we'll move on to the next part then. And then the Wallabies game. It was awesome to cheer that win in. Do you think Corabetti is the best winger in the world at the moment? He's even developed a kicking game. And also Faf's yellow card was a joke. Yeah, good. So that's a really, really interesting point there. 
Marika's kicking game was really on point and has obviously been something he's developed. We know what he is as a ball runner. We know what he is in terms of the defensive effort that he puts in. But the fact that he's adding a kicking game to his repertoire is a huge credit to him yeah, and the coaching staff. He's, well. he's a complete package because I think, you know, there was always a belief that he came from league. He was just going to be, you know, like many league converts. Um, he's just going to be a ball runner and his defensive skills are going to be, you know, whatever. And he'll just they'll just get the ball to him. Man, he has shown he knows how to play the game of rugby. He he knows how to find work. He's very busy. Um, and and yeah, adding kicking the thing just shows that yeah, he's at, the guy's developing. He really has, you know, been as good as he is is not enough. He wants to get better. And um, I'm I'm so happy he plays for us on the wing. I, and I I'm so happy he's not an injury prone guy as well. And I'm mm. touching wood as I say this. I really just want to make mm. sure that he's there next year because we are we are so going to need him. Um, and what he brings to the team. And it's those critical moments, those, those as we saw, those tackles on the peepee in the corner. That is the sort of moments that happen in games that, that builds everyone up and brings a team's confidence up. And, and you need, you know, if we can get a couple more guys doing that in the team, man, you know, all of a sudden there's a bit of belief. Um, but uh, no, he's, he's just, I think, an exciting guy to watch. There's <laughs> nothing more dangerous than hope. It's the thing that keeps us loving the game and a thing that makes us hate the game as well. So last but not least from Lincoln Adler again, this is a question we'll direct at you, Matt. You have to choose a run on a bench and a drop from the three players listed. So who's running on, who's the starting 15, who's on the bench and who are you dropping from the team? It is Maro Itoje, Eben Etzebeth like and Will um, Skelton. Kill Mary. Yeah. Kill Mary Pash. Yep. Yeah. 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 Pash on the still version. Um, so is it Atoje? Atoje, Etzebeth, and Skelton. Uh, God, I wish you were prepared for this. I'd, I'd stick with a boat, uh, uh, um, Atoje, I'd play. So, what are the sorry, I'm so bad at this. What are the options again? <laughs> so, okay, they have to be in a starting 15 on the bench gotcha. or you're dropping yep. them. Atoje, Etzebeth, Skelton. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, she's probably, probably almost in that order. I'd mm. say I'd probably go, I'd probably go starting with Atoje. Uh, oh, it's hard to drop at uh, Skelton, but I'd probably have to put Atoje and Etzebeth ahead of him. So I think it would be start uh, Atoje, um, bench, bench Etzebeth. And uh, sorry, sorry, Will, I'll, I'll drop you and you can go, go, go back to French rugby where you're doing very well and very much appreciated. <laughs> See, I, I want to say the exact same thing, but the um, parochial part of me that just can't handle anything that the great motherland puts forward can't have an Englishman in our team. So therefore it would have to be Etzebeth uh, starting Skelton on the bench and Etoje dropped. Mm. Um, but I very much get where you're coming from. In a world that is not defined by perspective and bias, then yours yeah. would be the correct option. Well, well, well the to look, Toje, we can consider him, he's Nigerian. So maybe we, we're, we've... We've got his uh, his Nigerian side uh, coming out, but I, I do believe, and I've said this before, I think he's one of the best players in the world. Yes, and, yep, hundred um, percent. The reason you look at you look at locks as well, and we're in a golden age of locks around mm. the world now, where locks now have to do so many different things. They can't just be the sort of one trick pony like they sort of used to be. Um, and I, I do think now that you've got this fantastic array of locks, and that's where I sort of say with Skelton, he's a great player, huge man, huge impact, but those other two guys can do so many different things. Um, and, and that's the pressure of, of, of trying to be the best in the position. 
Well, on that note, why don't we finish up Finish up here? It has been an absolute pleasure, Matt. Again, 15th of September. Check it out on Binge. Gold Digger, the search for Australian rugby, will be available for everybody to be checking out. And I'm sure there's going to be more opportunities to hear more from Matt in the coming weeks and months. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on the pod, my friend. Cheers, Ando. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, well done with what you guys are doing on the, on the, the pod this year. I think it's been, uh, it's been great to listen. You are very kind. Thanks, mate. Have a great week. Thank <laughs> you.